Good morning. Today I'll be reading 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is, in the, is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Well, this morning we get to peek behind uh, the spiritual curtain a little bit and to walk in the spiritual realm in a way that we don't often get to. Uh, our text is really a wonderfully practical teaching that John gives to the church to help deal with false teaching. And this text has to do with the nature of truth and where it comes from, who is behind false teaching, how we can determine what is true and what is false, all the while giving us insight into what's really happening in the spiritual realm when people discuss and proclaim you know, spiritual truths. So let's dive in, because I think this is just so helpful, so interesting. Uh, I, I think this is really a, a very important text for us to grapple with. And so I'm going to be approaching this today by taking the passage a little bit verse by verse, um, and then explaining as we go, and then applying as we go. So first of the, thing, the first thing we need to grapple with is verse 1, and that is uh, that false prophets are real things. Uh, they're real people, and they exist. So, verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, I actually want to start with the last bit of verse 1. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I think we need to define our terms, right? What is a false prophet? Or maybe we should first ask, what is a prophet? (laughs) Uh, In the Bible, a prophet is someone who brings a message from God. Their entire job was to tell the people what God said. Now, sometimes uh, this involved foretelling the future. So God said to the prophet, you know, if these people go on this way, these are the things that will happen. And then the people keep going on that way. And then those are the things that actually happen. So somewhat a prophecy sometimes was about what was happening, going to happen in the future. But most of the time, a prophet's job was simply to tell forth, not to foretell, but to tell forth what God had already said. A prophet's job was to, to give the word that God had given and to tell that to the people. That's basically what a prophet do, does. And so when you uh, read a book today or you hear about the ancient prophecy in some sort of story, they're almost always about future events that will happen. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about a prophecy. It is a message from God and the prophet's job is to be the mouthpiece of God. 
Now, where this gets really interesting is that false prophets then exist. Now, the Greek calls them here, they are pseudo-prophetized. So they are literally pseudo-prophets, false prophets. And so what do they do? Now, I don't uh, we don't often think about what a false prophet is. So we, we think a false prophet is someone who uh, claims to preach God, but actually they preach a word that is not God's word. And so we think they're false in the sense that they bring a message that is not from God. What they say is a lie. And that's true. But that's not actually John's primary point here. A false prophet is not false because the message they give is false, although that's true. The message they give is in, false, uh, is in fact false. A false prophet is proclaiming a message from the wrong God. They're false in that sense. They are uh, mouthpieces of not God, of false spirits. And so their words are wrong, not because their words are wrong. Their words are wrong because they are coming from an idol, from an evil spirit. Their words are false. And so the preaching of a false prophet is inspired by a false spirit, a pseudo-god, if you like. And that's why John says in verse 1, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. So he's talking about the messages that these false prophets are bringing. But he says that if you believe the message... You are believing the spirit behind that message. So don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits and see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So don't believe every spirit. It's not that the people there were, you know, communing with the spirits, doing some sort of seance to conjure forth some spirit to talk to. The people there were listening to the words of these false prophets, these false teachers who were speaking these false words from these false gods. And notice that the words belong to the spirits. They are truths, or in this case untruths, that belong to these false spirits. And so when you believe a false prophet's prophecy, you're not actually believing the false prophet. You are believing the spirit who speaks through them. And the false spirit empowers this kind of preaching from this false prophet and leads people astray away from Jesus. Now notice what John says here. He says, the false prophets have gone out into the world. But he is writing to the church. And so the reason he's writing to the church is because these false prophets have gone into the world, but the people in the church were being lured away by this false teaching. When you read the rest of John's letter, you see they're being led away um, actually by people that had come into the church and were teaching these false things. The false spirits, the false prophets were in the church proclaiming a false doctrine to people in the church. And that was as true of John's day as it is of our day. There are true prophets today, true teachers and preachers in the church, and there are false teachers and preachers in the church. In essence, Old Testament prophecy more or less is the same thing as our preaching and teaching today. And those, uh, there are those today whose proclamation is empowered by the Holy Spirit and there are those whose proclamation are empowered by these unholy spirits and there are really only these two options there's no middle or neutral way 
You don't get neutral teaching in the church. It is either from God, empowered by his Holy Spirit, or it is not, and empowered by a false spirit. Now here's the thing, friends. It is not my responsibility to make sure that the teaching is true. Obviously it's my responsibility to make sure what I say is from Scripture, but it is your responsibility as God's people to discern what is true and untrue. Who is John writing to here? He's writing to people like you and I. No, not like you and I, like you. He's writing to the church. In this case, I am the proclaimer, but John's words is to the congregation, to you, God's people. You are to test the spirits and see whether they are from God. Does what this guy is saying line up with Scripture? Is it true? Does it speak God's truth? Is it from the Holy Spirit? Just because I am behind the pulpit does not authenticate my message, my preaching. False prophets and false teachers are real. And they most often look rather successful. They most often look very professional. And they most often sound very nice to listen to. And they most often preach a kind of gospel that we can really get behind. This is the reality of the matter. There are many, many successful ministries who are headed up by false teachers and whose ministry is empowered by false spirits. There are many preachers who preach false doctrine. And the biggest threat to, John's, to the church in John's day was really not persecution. It wasn't from the government. It was not from the outside. It was from false doctrine teaching inside the church by false teachers whose words came from false spirits but which sounded kind of interesting, maybe a little bit fresh, a kind of interesting take on things, maybe a more nuanced view of that old doctrine. As it was in John's day, so it is in ours. The church is plagued with false teaching from false prophets whose words come from false spirits, whose ideas sound appealing, kind of fresh, kind of interesting, kind of a more nicer, nuanced way to view things in Scripture. And one of the biggest threats to the church today is not from outside, from the laws, from our governments, or from persecution breaking out, from being silenced in the public square or so on, but from false and weak teaching in the church. And all you need to do to see proof of this is to walk through the doors of your local Christian bookstore. Just because a book is on Kurong's bestseller list does not mean it's good. And it does not mean it's true. Test the spirits. Watch out for these false prophets. It is your responsibility as a church. Check what the teacher is saying. Because it may well be that what is said from the pulpit comes from a spirit and is empowered by a spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. Test the spirits to see if they are from God. So how do we do it? It's the second thing we need to think about. How do we go about testing the spirits? I read verse 2 and 3. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So I think there are three tests that we have for whether teaching is true and should be listened to. The first one is actually pretty simple. Does the message preached sound like Jesus Christ and him crucified? Does what is preached line up with biblical Christianity? If so, then it's good. Now notice in John's day, the particular issue that was a sort of a first order issue was that some people had come into the church and they were denying the physical reality of Jesus. So um, they were saying that Jesus was a spirit being. He wasn't really incarnate man, right? And so he only pretended to be human. He was God. He came to earth. He only pretended to be human. And so he didn't really die because he's a spirit. So he didn't really come back to life because it was a spirit, and so they pretended that Jesus was not a real physical being. Which is why, in John's case here, he has a special emphasis that says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That was the core doctrine issue in John's day. He's particular here about the fleshiness of Jesus uh, because he was a real and true human, because that was the issue up for grabs in the day. But the ultimate test for us remains the same. Is the person speaking a message that aligns with the true teaching of the Bible about Jesus? The question becomes, do they preach what Scripture preaches? And if so, that's good. Now we have to be a little bit sensible about these things, because to what extent... Do we expect a person to be correct in order to sit under their teaching? That is a valid question to ask. Like, what if the person holds a different view about what songs we should sing in church? Is that person from the devil? Probably not. Is their teaching inspired by Satan? Probably not. But what if the person denies that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, then clearly that's wrong. So where do we, you know, where's the line? Where do we draw the line? John here draws the line in what we might call first order doctrines, okay? So there are sort of three levels of doctrinal truth, if you like. Level three, way down the bottom, is about these disputable matters. So these are things that Christians, even within the same church, can disagree on easily and well, um, you know, what colour do we paint the walls, which songs should we sing, how should I dress when I come to church, is this outfit honouring to God, you might have a different opinion about that, it is a disputable matter, that's fine, you can just get over it. Level two, there are these second order doctrines, things that denominations kind of agree on. Things that uh, we as a whole group of churches agree on, as a whole denomination, we think this is what Scripture teaches. So, for example, do we baptise babies or adults? They go into this second-order doctrine box. You can happily sit under someone's preaching if you disagree on those things um, uh, and still the rest of their teaching is profitable. You You can sit under their teaching, that's fine. If you're a Christian and you disagree with someone on these things, 
Well, we're all Christians, that's fine. These are not salvation issues. The line that John is drawing here are the first order doctrines, the ones that sit right up the top. These are the things that mean you're either in the church or outside of the church. So not within the denomination or outside of the denomination or in the local church or outside of the local church. It's whether you're a Christian or not. These are first order doctrines. You are either saved if you believe these things or you are not. That's where John is drawing the line. These are things like Jesus' incarnation. Is he just some spiritual being or did he actually come in the flesh? Did he die or not really? Was he resurrected or no? Are my sins forgiven because of his substitutionary work on the cross or not? If you don't believe these core Christian doctrines, you are not a Christian and you are not saved. And it is there that this line is being drawn. And the reason these are so important, these things are so important, is because they are eternally significant. When Jesus comes again and we stand before him, the question is not whether we painted the church this colour or that colour, whether we were baptised as an adult or a child. The question will be, on what basis should he let us into his eternal kingdom? Is it on the basis of the perfect life Jesus lived for you, the sins that you gave to him and he gave you that righteous life instead? Or some other basis that you want to rely on which will end in your eternal death? That's the question. These are important things. And in the Bible, a false prophet that gets these things wrong throughout the Old Testament again and again, a false prophet is to be murdered, to be killed, because they have no place in God's kingdom. They are to be cast out of the society because they lead God's people astray. It is a highly important thing. Listen to good preachers. It all hinges on what the person preaches about Jesus. Because ultimately every false teacher has a problem with who Jesus is and what he came to do. One commentator puts it this way. He says, is uh, referring to verse 6, and he says, the phrase, the spirit of deception, is interesting. It has this idea of wandering from the truth. False prophets and those who listen to their teachings hang around the truth for a while, but they don't stay. They wander away. Again and again, their error comes back to what they think and believe about Jesus. The Bible says he is God, but they wander away and deny his eternal deity. The Bible says he is sinless, but they wander away and say that he sinned or at least committed some error. The Bible says he did miracles, but they wander away and say these are myths or fables or are scientifically impossible. The Bible says he's the only saviour, but they wander away and say he's only a saviour. The Bible says he died on the cross for our sins, but they wander away and deny the substitution, calling it cosmic child abuse. The Bible says he bodily rose from the dead, but they wander away and they say, perhaps his disciples imagined it. The Bible says he ascended to heaven as Lord, but they wander away and say that's just another myth because those things don't happen. 
The Bible says he's coming away, uh, coming again, but they wander away and say that it's pop Christian fiction. And finally, the Bible says that he will judge us all, but they wander away and say that God is love and eventually all will be saved. When in fact, Jesus came to save all those God gave him. And on that final day, he will say to some, depart from me, you evildoers, for I do not know you. Every false teacher ultimately has a problem with who Jesus is, what he did, and how that applies to us. So that's test number one. Does the teacher preach the biblical Christ? Test number two. Does the teaching have power within the church or does it resonate in the world? So verse 4 and 5, John writes there, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. So the question becomes, where is the message the preacher is preaching being powerful? Is it in the church or does it resonate with the world? Does the preaching and teaching change and confront the lives of the believers within the church? Or does it seek to make the church attractive to the outside world by preaching a message that is acceptable to the world, that sounds like the morality of the world? To put it in perhaps a graphic way, does the message function like a heart surgeon or is it more like a plastic surgeon? One that fixes what is wrong or one that seeks to make beautiful on the outside? Look at what John says here. He says, The spirit that lives within us, Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, is much more powerful than the spirit that lives in the world. And in the context... He's meaning that the message preached and empowered by the Holy Spirit overcomes the teaching of the spirits in the world, over the believer's own life even. In other words, the Holy Spirit empowers the message to such an extent that the believer, when they listen to it, changes. Now, if that's true, friends, it must mean that the message preached must be offensive to you on some level must challenge you on some level, must shape you to be different to what you already are. It has to be that way. Your heart won't be affected. You won't change. You won't go under the surgeon's knife uh, if, if the preaching is not from God. God's word is powerful. It is piercing. It is sharper than a double-edged sword, sharp enough to pierce between the soul and spirit. And so if you're not being pierced, if you're just being, um, you know, sort of affirmed in what you already believe, if you aren't being cut, if everything you hear preached sounds just nice and wonderful and something you can really get behind because it scratches the itch that your ears want to hear, that is a sure sign that you're sitting under a false preacher. The previous test of biblical Christianity weeds out all those who don't preach a true Christ. You know, Mormons fall in this box. They believe that Jesus isn't part of the Trinitarian God. 
The Jehovah's Witnesses failed test one. They teach that Jesus is just a created being, that is the first being God made. The Christian Science Church falls in this box. They see Jesus as a great faith healer, but not as God. And all the other religions fall in this box, of course. The tests of biblical Christianity, biblical Jesus, weed those out. This test, the second test, whether the teaching is powerful in the life of the believer by piercing and cutting and shaping, weeds out a whole other group. Here you have everyone who will tell you that Jesus wants you to be wealthy and healthy, that he will bless you, and that that blessing will look like money. Their books have titles like The Ten Commandments to Prosperity. That is a literal book you can buy from the shop. Unleashing heaven's wealth on your life. Live your best life now. And the gift you give to the church is really just an investment in your own health and well-being. And if you have enough faith, that will come back to you sevenfold, tenfold, a hundredfold. That is their message. And who is in this box? Well, surely the most recognisable false teachers in this box would be our good friend Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, and so on. Friends, beware the wolf with shiny teeth. Jesus is far more interested in your holiness than he is in your wealthiness. Does the teaching glorify mankind and our happiness or Jesus and his holiness? Does the teaching draw you out of your desires um, you know, to, be, uh, to be wealthy, to be powerful, to be popular? Does it shape you to be more like Christ by uh, you know, taking up your cross, denying yourself and living for him every day? Or does it just put a Christian coating over your desires to make them seem holy? That's the question. If the teaching never changes you, if it only ever agrees with what you already believe, if it keeps you living for you, then you can be sure that you are following a false teacher. Test number two. Does the teaching have power over the life of the believer or does it seek to make the church attractive to the world? Test number three, the final one. What does the Bible and the Holy Spirit within you say? Verse six. Writing to the church, he says, We are from God. Everyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Now, here's the fact. If you are a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. You are from God. Uh, you have God's word, which is the Bible, with you. The final test is this. Does the preaching, does the teaching line up with what God has given in his word, in the Bible? Does it line up with scripture? Does it sound wrong, as Sarah was saying? Does it feel wrong? That's the Holy Spirit prompting you. Notice what John says here. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Now, the us here is the apostles, the, the teaching of the apostles. He's returning to an argument he made already back in chapter 2. If you want to remain in Jesus, you've got to cling to the teaching of the apostles, the truth of Scripture, basically the Bible. 
So if the preacher or teacher is clinging to Scripture, to the Apostle's teaching, and is teaching that from you, to you, that is God's teaching. You know it through the Holy Spirit which lives in you. That means the Holy Spirit will stir something within you, might cause you to feel uneasy when you hear something wrong being taught from the front. And actually, we need to listen to that feeling. We shouldn't just dismiss it because whoever up there is charismatic or whatever. You need to listen to that to go and check against Scripture. Is this true? And does what the preacher says line up with the Bible? If I'm uneasy about it, either the Holy Spirit is tweaking my conscience and if I then go to the Bible and find out that the pastor wasn't right, well then it is my duty to go and tell them, you made a mistake there. Maybe it is my conscience being pricked because the Holy Spirit is using the words to change me. So what should I do? Well, you go to the Bible and you check. And then if you find that what is said is actually true and right, well then you need to change your life. Because it should line up with Scripture. But if the preacher is wrong, you check it against Scripture, you confront them, and they don't apologise, or correct their teaching, teaching, or issue an apology the next Sunday or something like that, go to the elders. And if the elders don't listen to you, then flee that church, because it is not a biblical church. If you stay there, you are quickly heading for destruction, and you don't want to be part of that. And so there it is. John's teaching really practical today. He says that false prophets are real. They preach false messages, empowered by false spirits. So the church, us, we have to be on our guard. And that is your responsibility as members. So how do we know whether a message is false? Well, it needs to pass these three tests. Test number one. Does it line up with the historical teaching of Jesus? Is it biblical? If so, good. Does it have power in the life of the believer in the church? Or does it just try to dress up your own evil desires and give it a sort of Christian sugar coating? Test number two. Test number three. Does it line up with your internal conviction as prompted by the Holy Spirit and confirmed by Scripture? And if it does, you should consider yourself lucky blessed because God will use teaching like that to shape you to grow you and to make you more like Jesus and if your teacher preaches and teaches like that you should be thankful yes I know what I'm saying but you should be thankful because God is changing you through that word and that's a good thing so let's pray Lord, we thank you that you give us some really practical advice about how to discern the truth in passages like this. Thank you, Lord, that you give us these tests of whether uh, what we hear is teaching true teaching about who Jesus is, whether it lines up with Scripture, and whether it has power in our lives. We pray that you will help us to use this grid to assess those under whose teaching we sit, and we pray that you will use this to grow your church. Oh Lord, the church is struggling for, uh, because it has bad teachers. May it be that you will raise up many more who will teach this kind of gospel that lines up with scripture, that is 
obeying the apostles' teaching that is empowered by your Holy Spirit. And may the church who has been led astray by false teachers realise their error and leave in droves to become again more, uh, more biblical as they follow the true teaching of Jesus, to take up our cross, to daily deny ourselves and to live for you instead. May this even be true of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.